Nothing without you. How many of y'all believe that? I'm nothing without you. Father, we recognize that we are nothing without you. And God, you said through Paul that in you we live, move, and have our being. God, will you blow your mighty breath in and through us today as we continue to be reached by your word. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, our strength and our redeemer, whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Stand to your feet, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Let's read together. Um, I'll start you. Keep on going. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. Keep going. Amen. In this third installment of our series on keeping it 100, I would like to tag our text today, how to love people that are hard to love. How to love people who are hard to love. You may be seated. You may be seated. Um, everyone uh, can testify that there is someone in their vicinity that's hard to love. As a matter of fact, um, some of us rig our lives around not being around the person <laughs> that's hard to love. Some of, some of us can only stand one time a year with the person or people that is hard to love. 
As a matter of fact, everybody has that crazy uncle uh, that everybody deems hard to love. Um, maybe someone has a crazy neighbor that you avoid. Why? Because they're hard to love. Um, someone may even on the more serious side of that had an abusive family member or abusive father of sorts or a controlling mother um, that, that's very, very difficult to love. But one of the things that I found out about people that are difficult to love is they don't know that they're difficult to love. They don't know it. They're oblivious. That's what makes it more difficult to deal with them because the, 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 the more blind they are to the difficulty it is um, for them to be loved, they sort of pour out the very thing that pushes the buttons in you to remind you of the fact that they are difficult to love. But the challenge with uh, us and our recognition of loving on people that's difficult to love is the reason why we have a hard time loving on people that we have difficulty to, they're, they're difficult to love is because we don't know that all of us are difficult to love. Oh, y'all were real quiet on that part. Um, all of us have something that is, a, it, 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 it's, an aband, it's an abandoning offense that we're worthy of in light of the challenges that we have in our lives. And God in Christ made it very, very clear that no matter how messed up we were, he was willing to roll up his eternal sleeves, take on an additional nature, and come after us to love the unlovable. In other words, in the eyes of God, all of us are equally unlovable. I know we have levels to how bad people are in our world, and, and there are varying consequences for sin, but equally before holy God, all of us got issues that we need God's love poured out on us from. I wish I could get just a little bit of help here today, but that's okay. I, I, I'll wait again to the second gathering. But, I, but, I'm, but I'm, I'm wondering or not whether or not anybody in here has dealt with the reality of the hardship of your brokenness and how hard it is, but yet God makes it look easy for you to love, for him to love you. The Bible says that while we were Yet sinners, God demonstrated his love. He demonstrated, he didn't say how he felt about us. Didn't say the feeling. Because if God would have based his love for us on how he felt about us, we'd all be in hell, washing our underarms with the heat of the flames of the fire. However, 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 God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were jacked up, while we were not thinking about him, while we thought we were thinking about him, while we were trying to give him our disposition and our attitude, while we were creating a list of love of why he should love us, and it is damnable before his sight, at that moment, Christ died for us. That that's powerful to me. So we come to this passage where Paul is just, I mean, I, I, I can't tell you enough how appropriate the title of this series is. Um, and Paul keeping it 100 with the Corinthian church and challenging them on so many things and almost just being bluntly honest with everything that he's working through and dealing with with them. He transitions from chapter one into chapter two and he begins dealing with <coughs> a very challenging issue that has come up in their congregation. <coughs> He's dealing with an issue of uh, forgiveness and restoration 
and reconciliation of a repentant person who is holistically repentant. And so we come to this passage and Paul begins to talk about not just this situation, but the broader circumstances that they're dealing with in the Corinthian church in order that they may recognize their need to have a broader view of love. It's almost as if he's practically exegeting in application 1 Corinthians 13 all over again by taking the implications of chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians and infusing it practically in chapter 2. And so uh, I got two points for you today, and I will be out of your way. Um, in how to love people that are hard to love, if you're going to do that, number one, you got to be willing to face the barriers in your relationships. You have to be willing to face the barriers in your relationships. Look at what Paul says. Paul says, for I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. This is interesting to me because Paul um, was in anguish about the state of the Corinthian church. He was frustrated with the hyper level of their spiritual immaturity and their brokenness and how, close, how, how much more of their proximity was close to the world than it was the mind and heart of God and so, and so Paul, Paul says, as a matter of fact, it wasn't merely God that stopped me from coming to y'all. I didn't even want to come to y'all because I was not optimistic based on the reports that I heard of whether or not you had already repented of your stuff. So coming back to engage you about the same thing would just be painful of all over again. Paul wasn't willing to come to engage the Corinthians about their immaturity if they were in the same disposition of pride and lack of teachability. You ever got tired of engaging someone about the things that's causing your relationship with them to be broken? You ever over and over and over again, you, you, you like, I know, it's almost like this unsettledness of you thinking that you haven't dealt with it, but in their minds, <coughs> because they moved on without growth, they moved on without growth, <laughs> and it's not that you're nitpicking their flaws. It's that the flaw that they have is systemic and corroding everyone and everything around them to the point that in order to be in any time of relationship and fellowship with them, you have to deal with the issues. Listen, it's impossible to be a Christian and not be confrontational. <clears throat> now, what I, now, I didn't say a jerk. Amen. There's a difference between a jerk and a contender. And a contender, this, this, this passage is massaged and oiled in love. <clears throat> and so this is not just somebody angry, I want to get something off my chest. You know, I've been wanting to say this for a long time. You know, so I want to get this off my mind. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about you feeling better because you got rid of something that was laying on you and you let it go and you don't want to actually deal with the person. You just wanted to get the information off you so you can feel better. That's called an emotional enema. That's not called reconciliation. And so, and, so, and so when we look at Paul's disposition towards them, obviously Paul had made a visit before, after he had originally led them to Jesus and had a tough confrontational time with them. Paul called it, it painful because of their immaturity and their warped thinking and responsiveness to his team's investment in him. You ever invested in someone and expected more in return out of them than they gave? Help me today, God. Wanting more for them than they wanted for themselves 
and it almost seems, particularly, and this is hard, I'm not just talking about in the general world, I'm talking about Christianity. You invest in someone's life, <laughs> spend time, talents, money, um, you move some stuff out of the way just for them, and then they, 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 they all, they're not only unthankful, they're unchanged. <laughs> and Paul is like, I, I don't want to come if it's going to be this. In other words, I'm not going to go back and forth until I see something break. And so Paul is challenging them with this, and he says, in other words, the visit was painful enough, and the reports have shown that there was little progress to the point where Paul was pessimistic about any fruitful resolve. Verse 2, he says, for if I cause you pain or sorrow, where it is sorrow, or disappointment, <clears throat> okay, for pain, some translations translate it differently, which is good, because um, it gives the same sense, pain and sorrow are synonymous in the emotional impact that it has on a person that's wanting something for someone. Who is there to make <clears throat> me glad but the one who I, who I uh, pained? I like this. So now he's speaking to a specific issue in the church. Now there's a specific issue, some, we don't know which one it was, we don't know if it's the guy in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 uh, um, um, uh, who had his mother's wife. Remember, we talked about that months and months and months and months ago when we went to 1 Corinthians. He was committing a form of illegal and spiritual incest, okay, with his dad's wife, okay? So we don't know if we're talking about that issue. I pained him, right? Or it, or it could be a person that is divisive in the church against the spiritual leadership of Paul, and Paul was there to physically communicate to that person and rebuke the person, or it can be both and. At the end of the day, the issue is there is a disciplinary action that had to be taken by Paul and the church to engage in disciplining this person because of constant unrepentant sin, but then the whole church had lived in a sense of comprehensive brokenness. And so Paul uh, had a hard on the, was hard on the Corinthians because of their despairing carnality. So it wasn't that they had sinned, it was their disposition towards its presence in the church. One of the, one of the, one of the, one of the interesting things is a church has to deal with sin issues. Yeah. Um, now, 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 someone is going to say, well, you know, ain't none of us perfect. Okay. Um, th that, that's not a good illustration uh, because <clears throat> I don't say to my, when, when, if my children or you got children do something and they need correction, you don't say none of us perfect, so I'm not giving you a beating. <laughs> like that, because why? That would be bad stewardship yes, yes. of their trajectory. And so in the midst of your brokenness, even though you're broken, God has given you a role to play in their lives. And so to not play that role with humility, to deal with their issue while God is dealing with your issues would be bad stewardship. And so here Paul says, I know y'all are mess, but you still have to deal with the hyper mess that's in your midst. Because what happens is, is when you don't deal with mess in the local community, it festers, it grows, and it develops. <coughs> Let me tell you something, and people can feel it. People can feel, people, people can deal with people that got issues that admit they got issues. People, everybody, even the world can deal with that. They call that keeping it real, you know what I'm saying? Being straight up, right? But, but, but no one can deal with someone that, 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 that basically, there's two types of, two types of that, that, that don't act like they got issues, 
but issues are obvious than a mug up in the ministry, right? Boom. Or you got the whole other side of the situation where it's kind of like this settled lack of commitment to the holiness of God. (laughs) There's no awe of God anymore. Well, we do things with fear and trembling. I'm doing this, but I know I need him just as much as this person does. When the church loses its sense of awestruckness of God and its commitment to him, listen, restoration and discipline is, listen, it's not about being better than someone. It's about making them better. And bringing a sense of of cognizant fear upon all of us to take a closer look at ourselves. And so when Paul walks through this whole idea of dealing with this, um, uh, uh, Paul has a hard time with them not dealing with them. He says, uh, uh, he, he says something interesting. He said, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I pained? Why would he say that? He's saying something interesting. He's saying, make me glad that you got pained. Don't retaliate, respond. See, see, painting someone or bringing someone sorrow by confronting them, the holistic plan of the spirit and the work of God is for that particular person to feel the pain and be offended for the right reasons, not the wrong reasons. Because, see, an unrepentant person is going to make what you confronted them about about you. See, and and that's not a repentant person because they'll make it. The reason why it happened because of you. And if they got somebody else to blame, they're not repentant. But the thing that makes us, this Paul, he's going to talk about joy, and we're going to explain that in a second. What happens is, is a person is repentant when they can separate what you said from from you and receive it as a godly wound and respond and turn towards repentance so that they can develop, so that they can grow, and so that they can be better. That's what you have to be as a Christian. You have to be willing to be rebuked and be better. Listen, Christian community ain't all about, you know, you know, all of that carrying on. That's good and all of that. But every now and then, if we're going to be real with each other, we got to get in each other's face. Oh, that's okay. Because most of us want to come to church with our Bible up under our arms and look real cute and nice and smell real nice and go back to things as usual and say, that was a nice word. I had a good time at worship, but nothing's different. Church, 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 being the church is about being confronted. <laughs> about being confronted. And, and somebody said, I don't want nobody in my business. They, they, you, you gave that up when you became a believer. Amen. I mean, we know there's some things off limits. We know. You know but, but for the most part, somebody should be able to talk to you. And most of you, and this is the hard part about it. A lot of us are so non-confrontational is that we run from opportunities to grow. And let me explain something to you. When that happens, you won't grow, and it will follow you. One of the hardest things in shepherding people is when you challenge someone lovingly, instead of receiving pastoral care, they run. And then create another story of what happened. And then people find them out anyway later. Like, so why didn't you just... Deal with it. You can still leave, but just go and deal with it. Don't, like, go and then be a fool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Create uh, stories in people. But see, that's what they did on Paul. They created stories about Paul. And when, and when that began to happen is they, when, you cre- when, they, when a person wants to create a story about someone else not to deal with their issues, they're going to go deeper into their issues because they're looking for someone to coddle them 
in the stuff that they don't want to change. Oh, God, help me today. And so Paul is challenging them in a loving way. He says, cheer me up, <coughs> is what he's saying. He said, what will bring me cheer is not us just me putting somebody on blast. What brings me great cheer is for there to be transformation. And he says, I, and he says look, look at what he says, because when he says, uh, 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 who, who is there to make me glad but the one who I pain? You know, one of the things that Christ said, and I've been trying to wrap my mind around the principle of John 15, 11. Jesus says something interesting. He, he uses a language. He says, these things I have said to you in order that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. In other words, want for yourself what I want for you, that's good for you. Now, prior to that, Jesus Christ says, every branch in me, uh, of the, uh, the, the Lord, uh, uh, every branch in me that bears fruit, God prunes it that it may bear more fruit. Sometimes challenge and discipline is painful, but it's really God using God's people to cut off mess that shouldn't be there. And when the mess is cut off and you submit under the cutting, help me today, God. Y'all quiet. That's okay. Uh, when you submit to the cutting, new growth can take place of the brokenness of what was removed. But if you want it, but, but you'll grow, but you won't grow healthy. Because God has to cut at you. And sometimes God uses people's mouths to cut at you in Jesus' mighty name. And that's okay. And it's nothing wrong with that as we grow and develop in Christ. And I, listen, I don't like to be challenged. I know. Hold on. Look at me. Look at me real close. I, I literally, I remember one of my boys said something to me, and I, I literally could have put my fist through his mouth. I was, I was just, I mean, I don't know what happened. Like, it just, I mean, I thought I was saved from that, you know? And he said it to me. I'm not talking about like years ago. I'm talking about like this year, you know? Some of y'all like, I remember before I was, but I ain't talking about that. See, we, this series called Keep It at 100. So he said something to me, and I knew he was right. And that's what, so it was like we were playing chess. And my rook was here, and I was ready to kill him, get his queen. And, and he was like, can't cow, checkmate. And I was like, man, if I, <laughs> man, I wish I had on some brass knuckles, and I could just, but the Holy Spirit had to deal with me. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> See, being jammed up is painful. Everybody, from the pastor to the disaster, needs help. Yes, <laughs> Everybody. Everybody. And so, and so I'm not exempt from jam upableness. Okay? All of us are. And so that's what this passage is about. And so he said, he's, Paul, Paul said, Man, I want to I be glad about that. that it should make, listen, our desire, though, <clears throat> is not to just tell people off. Our desire is for change. And so because of that desire for change, we should rejoice when change happens. Amen. Are y'all tracking with me? Amen. And so look at what he says there. He said, I wrote, he said, he said, and I wrote as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those or suffer sorrow from those who should have made me rejoice. He said, for I fell, <laughs> I felt sure of all of you, that my joy would be the joy of everybody. Now, this is interesting because Paul is, is helping the Corinthians through something. He says, man, what I'm desiring to do should be something that we should hold in common of what everyone should want to be a part of. All of us should want to 
joyfully. What does it mean? Joy means, remember our definition based on the scriptures, to, be, to have unending satisfaction with God no matter what. That's what, that's what joy means, to have unending satisfaction with God no matter what. And so in having unending satisfaction with God no matter what, that means the goal that we're working towards is sometimes joy involves pain. Uh, Teddy Pendergrass is right. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. If some people above a certain season, they know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, I'm not talking about the Rob Bass song for some of y'all. I'm talking about the original song that Rob Bay sampled from. Still dated some of y'all. It's okay. Um, it's okay. But, 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 but the idea is, is that joy and pain are almost two sides of the same coin. <laughs> and so he said, he said, I wrote as I did in order that this may happen, right? He said that my joy would be the joy of everyone in the ministry. He says, for I wrote to you out of much affliction. Look at what he says. This is not a person, let, let me, let me, this is not a person confronting <coughs> vindictively. There's a difference between vindictive confrontation and redemptive confrontation. There, there, there's, there's a, I, I want to hammer that away because we, we, we want to we tell people, so Paul's not telling them off. He has purpose behind this. So he says, as I worked through what I was going to write, I was in much affliction. In other words, my emotions were crowded with all types of thoughts. I was weighed down. And anguish of heart, anguish of heart, uh, 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 it, it, anguish of heart means to be in prison or constricting distress. That's what it means. And so, and so what Paul is pointing to the fact is this, this is really, really hard to, to even approach because I'm having a very, very hard time. And he says, with many tears. Can you imagine Paul writing this letter and crying? He's broke down. You ever wanted something so bad for someone and you just cried even as you were moving towards confronting them because of their lack of commitment to change? Their lack of commitment to change. And Paul says, he said, I didn't do this to cause you sorrow, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. That's the goal. That's the goal, unconditional love. You know somebody loves you when they tell you about yourself. That's a simple principle. But if you got people in your life that don't ever confront you, they don't love you. You don't need people in your life to just talk about you, talk around you, or infer to you, or put something like out on social media, you know what I'm saying? You know, some people sometimes out there, hey, Facebook friends, um, that's the one I hate when they started off with that. I hate that one, you know. Hey, Twitterverse, you know, and all of that kind of thing, and just want to put like a general thing, hoping that you'll screen past their page or in your timeline and see it, and then somehow the Holy Spirit connects it to some obscure sin in their life that you did to them instead of you just saying, yo, fam, let's holler. Matter of fact, we're going to do it over some coffee or some tea or some something. You need some water ice, whatever your thing is. Let's, 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 so that I can get, see, see, that community gives love to it. Now, there's sometimes when it's so tough and they've been wilding out so bad, you don't need a meal in the middle of y'all. You need to cut to the chase. Because you don't want them to feel a certain way to run from it so they can hide in the water ice. You have to confront somebody and eat something and they're hiding in it. See, sometimes, some people are so hardened of heart, you got to just remove the obstacle. Yeah. 
You understand what I'm saying? So we can remove the sweetness of the water ice so you can feel the bitterness of soul that happens when you don't respond properly to confrontation. And so, and so, and so he says, many tears. He said, I, I want to, he said, I got a lot of love for you. You ever felt that way? The conflicting affliction of pain and anguish, <coughs> but deep love for someone, you want more for them than they want for themselves. Yeah. And, and then when you confront them, you're trying to figure out a way to communicate to them in a way where the pain that you're saying to them, you're still like, I still want you to, you like, see, this is how you know you're wrestling with this thing. When you say, Lord, how do I, can you help them to know that I love them? Can you help me to, can, like, Lord, can you, cre- can you create an, I don't even know how to do it, Lord. I know we have to deal with this because uh, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. So, God, I have to deal with this issue, but I want this to somehow be surrounded in love. And sometimes you got to start with good stuff like Paul. <laughs> Paul had to find stuff about the Corinthians. Because they so, yeah, you, um, let me just say this before we begin. <laughs> Man, you've been a great, um, Man, I love you, and um, you dress nice, um, you can cook, I mean, something. Come up with something to, you know, I, I want to let you know how much you mean to me, and the times that we, and then go into that thing. Don't just say, all right, out. it's going to not feel like love. Because if you don't have, and listen, Paul, every time, in the Bible, before God jams his people up, he always tells them, he said, didn't I save you from Egypt? with a mighty right hand and held up Moses in the wood. He go through all of that. Then he says, now. (laughs) Let's check out the Bible. God just never just go whack out on his people. He always talk about his abundant love and kindness for them. And then wicked get right in there and love on them, right? By communicating to them. And so that's what we're talking about here. Paul has that idea. So this points to the fact that Paul had to and was willing to deal with some difficult subject matters because love involves hard conversations. Chronic avoidance is a sign of hate versus love. <laughs> chronic avoidance. We can't beat people to promise chronic avoidance. I'm on the last point. Um, you have to deal with issues. Number two, got to be willing to accept authentic repentance. <laughs> so you got to be willing to confront, but don't be like Jonah. See, I told you, God that you're abundant in love and kindness and uh, full of love. And, and I knew that if they repented, you was going to start that forgiveness stuff and restoration stuff that you do. I literally didn't want them to repent, so you destroy Nineveh, right? That's not what we're talking about here. That, that's like the sons of thunder, James and John, sons of Zebedee said, Lord, call out, can we call out fire from heaven and destroy them? And guess what Jesus says? You don't know what kind of spirit you're of. When you wish bad for a person, that God is calling to repentance, you, you got to check you now. Because now you need restoration. So look at what he says. Look at what he says. He says, he say, he says now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, look, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. This is crazy. So Paul is dealing with an issue in the church (coughs) where (coughs) a person has done something heinous and grievous. The person is repenting of their sin. Paul is challenging them, but instead of viewing it 
as themselves and their lack of repentance of accepting the person's repentance, they point at Paul as the one who caused all of this ruckus. Because we wouldn't have been in this predicament, Paul, if you wouldn't call on us to do what the Bible says. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You understand what I'm saying? You ever felt like the Bible got you in worse trouble? You know what I'm saying? But you knew it was the right thing to do, but you kind of wish it wasn't because it makes you feel like in areas of avoidance and things you really want to avoid, but God wouldn't let you avoid it because he loves you enough to help you to deal with it in the first place. Yes. Boom. Right? So Paul says, Paul says, he said, he said, not to put it to severity, he says, but this, this is to all of you. In other words, the person who pained you is you. Wow. Wow. That's tough love. I said, you wouldn't be in this predicament. My mom always said, listen, Eric, yes, ma'am, if you ever get locked up, don't call home. I was like, what you mean, mama? You ain't going to bail the brother out? She said, no, I'm going to leave you in there. And then I started in my mind, like, so you don't really love me. So you're going to let me stay in jail as a 14, 15, 16-year-old to prove some, I didn't say this like this, I'm saying this in my mind, because I know not to get slapped into another like time zone. So, uh, so let me just let you know, I wasn't saying that to my mom. I, I just processed, see, I, I grew up around parents, you process in your mind. You don't verbally process in front of my mom and dad. Verbally process and you will find yourself created into a time machine through a slap, right? You know what I'm saying, what I'm saying. My mom said she slapped you in the next week, I believed her. And so, um, <laughs> And so, uh, and, so, and, so, and, and, and so I said, Mom, you, I'm thinking to myself, but, but then I did say, I said, Mom, you really need me? She said, because, because baby, she said, baby, your problem is if you got locked up, you think me not getting you out is my fault. I, I didn't commit a crime to go into prison. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. That's my mama. You know, I praise God and I thank you, Jesus, after that, that. And she wanted me to know that, listen, the consequences of your sin is the consequences of your sin. And, 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 and I can decide what, which way I want to go with it, but at the end of the day, it's not my fault that you get kept in a situation that you put yourself in. Paul is trying to let them know that. You have to take the onus off of you for people blaming you for their con condition. You got some, some of you got people in your life that's constantly blaming you for their condition based on their choices. They make a choice and then you get to feel bad while they feel good. Hold on, that's confusing to me. How did you sin? You're calling me to feel bad, but you want me to make you feel better because when you come out with the unchangedness that you have, you're going to just make me angrier and more frustrated and of more anguish because you went through something that I saved you from. Some of us, help me today, God, need to stop getting in the way of God's belt. Because when you get in the way of God's belt, you get hit. Yeah. One of the rules in my house, when somebody's getting the spanking, don't get in the middle. No substitutionary atonement in this house, right? <laughs> you understand? No substitutes. I'll go, yeah, you, it's going to be both of y'all now. Ain't no switching. <laughs> ain't no switching. You understand what I'm saying? So, so, so I mean, so, so when, you, when you look at Paul's disposition, he says, I don't want to put it severity or put a psychological burden on you. He says, <coughs> then he goes for it. He said, for such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. 
So what had happened is this person had gotten removed from the church because of their sin. And they were holistically, comprehensively replantant. In other words, they were placed under discipline by Paul. We don't know if it was the first Corinthians five guy or somebody else, right? Um, but it's clear that this person had come to repentance to the point where they were begging for a return with a repentant heart, okay? They weren't just asking for replacement, they were asking for reconciliation and restoration without any strings attached to it, okay? And, and this is interesting because Paul will later talk about this idea of repentance and what authentic repentance looks like. Uh, if the, so in other words, if the person is broken, not demanding anything, if anybody tells you they want reconciliation but got demands, they're not repentant. If they are, if they are in other words, they're not, they're not, if they're arguing the particulars of the sin that was committed to give you a bird's eye view on what they weren't guilty of, not repentant. Because a repentant person just says, whatever I did. Yeah. I don't even know. Because when you sin, there are unforeseen things that you've done and impacted that's even beyond the actual sin you first committed. And so a repentant person says, listen, I don't, I don't, I don't want nothing. I ain't, got, I ain't, I ain't arguing with nobody. I, I, all I want to do is I just want to be right with you and right with God. When someone says that, that's when you run in and you swoop in and you say, that's, that's a good place to be in. That's a beautiful place to be in. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 and the last one, and what you'll see later in the book, is not causing division among God's people. And not causing division among God's people. And so that, that's, that is the challenge of it. Now, the challenge of it is, is the church has to be willing to be bold enough to deal with it. I wish I would say over the 20 years of ministry that we've never, I've never had to be involved in church discipline. I would love to say that nothing ever got to that point. Um, and there are a lot of, most 99.9% of the discipline cases that we've dealt with never go public. Y'all got real quiet. 99.9% because the person is dealt with behind closed doors, the person repents, and I don't believe in sitting down. That doesn't even... You, we sat somebody, like that setting, sit down just means you sit punitively so that you're not doing any ministry, but there's no counseling, there's no service, there's no ministry, there's no building up. Sitting down just means punishment. That's like going to corner. But restorative discipline means care. For the person that's repentant. When a person's repentant, that means they're open, they're just not jumping through hoops. Y'all real quiet, that's okay. And so we don't jump through hoops. We want to be right. That's what biblical discipline looks like. And it's willing to say, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll do whatever it takes. I'm not, now doing whatever it takes is not meritorious. Because you're not saved by what you do. But to know you're repentant, you're forgiven, but I still don't trust you. That's biblical. You don't entrust a person that's uh, 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 um, um, breached confidence in any type of way. With re- if somebody stole money, you don't like make them the treasurer. Amen. Say, we're restoring you. It's like, wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. You know what I'm saying? Wow. You know, restoration means there's, we're not, we may, we're not going to hold your sin against you for fellowship. 
but trust has to be regained based on the severity of the sin. So, 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 but don't let, don't confuse forgiveness and trust. Get that, and listen to me. Forgiveness and trust are two different things because some of us hold forgiveness because we don't trust, that's ungodly. And we merge trust and forgiveness. Listen, there's some things that God has forgiven me of that he won't let me do ever again because he don't trust me with that anymore. Help me today. But, but, but so, so, so what Paul is calling for, Paul is calling for something great. Paul is calling for, hey, let this person, he said, let them, he said listen, he said but the punishment by the majority meaning everybody didn't agree. Ain't that something? <laughs> he said by the majority. That means that there was a divide over how the issue should be handled in the ministry. Look at verse 7. He says, so you should rather turn and forgive and comfort. There's that word comfort again. Comfort here in the context of 1 Corinthians means you've been comforted because of the same brokenness that a person was comforted of. Therefore, you have the ability to turn and comfort that person with the comfort that you received from God yourself. Right? And so he said, comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed with excessive sorrow. That, that's what I called church hurt. Brokenness and deep uh, church hurt. In other words, overwhelmed with excessive sorrow points to despair and hopelessness and depression. When a person is pushed off to never be engaged as a repentant person, right? And so Paul points to that. He says, so I beg you. He does great. He says, so I beg you, reaffirm your love for him. So now Paul is saying, now I want you to, I want you to love. I want you to love that person. I want you to love them unconditionally. Now, I want you to reaffirm. I want you to ratify. I want you to vindicate your love for him. In other words, the love that you show to them must equal or exceed the public rebuke that you gave to them. In, in, other, words, in other words, if you rebuke someone in relationship or the church does it, that means that the love that is engaged with that person must equal or exceed the impact of the rebuke, which can be hard if you were hurt by the sin that they committed against you in the first place. And so that means that now you have to love and now you have to move forward in that. So he says, for this is why I wrote that I might test you. So the idea of test means to fire up your soul to see what kind of character you got. Do you have character? You got enough character to deal with sin? That's what he's saying. You got enough character to deal with sin? And do you have enough character to restore a person that's comprehensively repentant? Do you have enough character to not just forgive, not just deal with the issue that you have with someone, but to forgive them and restore them and love them. That's that, those four things are very, very important. Because Paul is saying your character, the character of how much you have invested your soul in gospel growth in your life is connected to that. And in other words, Paul is saying this is not just for the person, it's for you as well. That means that many of us in here, we have to deal with relationships that have been broken. Some of you have some relationships that have been broken that you just kind of ignore. Like, you, 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 some of y'all got some relationships that you just kind of want to go away. But you haven't done what the Bible says in Romans 12 and Hebrews 12. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Have you done everything you can for the person that's hard to love in your life? 
God, 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 but God, you got to, God ain't talking to them. He's talking to you. From this word, he's talking to you. Have you pushed, have you, have you gotten a mediator? Some of y'all need to get a mediator. Y'all are real quiet now. Have you gotten a mediator to sit down with the person because y'all are so angry at each other, you need some help to talk to the person? Have you done that yet? A trustworthy, new, not somebody that's more on you. You know what I'm saying? Because like, we like to take a, our defense attorney into the room with us. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not talking about your defense attorney. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? I'm talking, about, <clears throat> I'm talking about a mediator who can communicate on both sides neutrally, yet engage and challenge both sides, where both sides trust the rebuke that they get or the encouragement that they get that's equal enough for both to feel like it's an equitable exchange. Are y'all walking with me today or what? And, and, and so, and so, and so that, that's very, do all you can do. And if the person... If they wild out, that's on them. Yes. Again, that's on them. The hope is that there'd be reconciliation. But if they keep, that's okay. You'd be like, God, I done did all I can do. You, but that don't stop. You pray for them seasonally as they come to mind and check your heart about how you feel about the fact that reconciliation hasn't taken place. I'm going to close. And he says, anyone whom you forgive... I also forgive. What I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. Powerful term. I mean, Jesus is looking. I've done it in the presence of Christ. There's an official sense in which the church deals with issues like this, where Christ officially, when, when, it's another word that he uses in the pastoral epistles and other areas, where he says in the presence of God and his angels. He, he's, it's almost this official sort of, like God's looking, he's going to hold us accountable for this. He's going to hold us to the carpet for how we have dealt with this situation. This is the most powerful verse in the book, one of the, one of the most powerful verses in the books next. He says, the reason why I'm telling you all of this, all of this is for this one reason. He says, so that you would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his I like one translation say his devices. This says his designs. In other words, Satan, let me tell you something in closing and pointing to Jesus. Satan loves to outwit God's people to be against one another. Particularly in the area of forgiving each other. He loves to build a case in your heart and mind against a person so that you won't deal with them. <laughs> that's, that's what he did. So his device, but then what he wants to do in the context, for a person that's repentant and everybody's mad at them, isolate them so he can pounce on them. And we let lion little L, 1 Peter 3, 5, I mean, 1 Peter 5, win. Not winning them to hell or anything of their believer, but winning them in the sense of winning, getting them, snatching them, grabbing them, and doing what he will with them because of his commitment to molesting God's people. He's committed to that. He's committed to dividing you from the flock. He's committed to making you feel hopeless. He's committed to making you think the gospel isn't enough for you. He's committed to that. That's his biggest, that's one of his big, the, 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 listen, Paul don't even mention Satan that much. This, may, this, may, this is one of the only times 
He mentions Satan by name. He uses principalities and powers or something. He don't even like to talk. I don't even like to say his name. But he said, here, I got to say it. And it's interesting how Jesus does. <laughs> a good case study on Christ is he forgave Peter, a guy who betrayed him, after he spent three years around the clock discipling him. Jesus spent, I, I calculated up. If you count up three years approximately, Jesus spent 26,280 hours with Peter investing in him. Have you ever spent that much time in, I ain't talking about like around. Jesus spent over 26,000 hours investing in Peter and Peter cursed Jesus. I never knew him. Blip, 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 blip. The Bible just had to do like this. Beep. That's what the text says. He denied Jesus. He lied about being connected to Jesus. He avoided the risk of his relationship with Jesus when it got hard. But Jesus warned Peter that he would fall. Jesus knew that he would fall and prayed anyway that he would be steadfast. Jesus went to serve Peter by going by the water, saying, throw your net in. He couldn't see who he was. Pulls up a bunch of fish. He loads his business up with resources. After, he denied him. He cooked for him on the side of the beach. Jesus grilled fish for him. See, I told you about that fellowship. He cooked for him didn't give on that his apostleship was lost because of his sin. Some people say restore. He didn't restore Peter. He never told Peter he was ever out of fellowship with him. It's powerful. Told him to pastor his people and encourage him to strengthen his brothers when they fall. Jesus. So he's a master of dealing with hard people he deals with us. Father, we thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace upon us that is the challenge of our lives where you call us to the hardship of dealing with people that are hard to deal with. And God, most of all, you've dealt with us. And so, Father, you deal with all of us, ultimately, by calling us to trust in Jesus Christ by faith in his death and resurrection from the grave, Lord God, so that we can experience newness of life, so that your wrath would pass, God's wrath would pass from us onto you, and we go and believe that you poured out your wrath, God, on Jesus raised them from the dead, and whoever believes in that are taken from spiritual death to spiritual life. Is there anyone here that wants to put their confidence in Jesus?